Good afternoon and welcome to Uniting the Silos that disrupt disrupt operational effectiveness within your health system. A health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Medigate. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time uh, in the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. We're also going to have a one-question poll, and we'd love to get you involved and participating in that. Nice way to view the screen in the top center, get it into side-by-side mode, adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them, and it should say speaker's view. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Jess Cornelius, CIO at Sutter Health, Craig Richardville, SVP and Chief Information and Digital Officer with SCL Health, and Jonathan Langer, co-founder and CEO at Medigate. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, we got a lot of interesting, I think extremely interesting things to talk about. So we're going to jump right in. Um, Jess, look, why don't you start us off? Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Absolutely. Thank you, Anthony. Um, I'm Jess Cornelius. I am the CIO here at Sutter Health. We are a $10 billion healthcare organization with 24 acute care facilities. Um, we are we have continuously been consolidating those into one Sutter Health over the last 10 years. Um, and as you can imagine, that has caused some challenges for us in communication. So this topic today is perfect to start talking about how we disrupt those silos. Very good, Craig. Yes, Craig Richardville. I'm the Chief Information and Digital Officer for SCL Health. SCL Health is a mission-driven organization uh, based out of Colorado, and we provide services to Colorado, Kansas, Montana, and then uh, bleed over into some of the neighboring states. All right, very good, Jonathan. Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan Langer. I'm the CEO of a company called Medigate. We're a healthcare company focused on security and also optimization of clinical inventories. I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, IT, IS, and uh, clinical engineering departments um, in various HDOs. So breaking the silos is something that is uh, near and dear to me. So thank you for having me today. All right. Very good. Uh, big question, but this is going to take us uh, into the issue. Why do misalignments and gaps develop among people, processes, and technologies for the following constituencies? Data-centric workers, such as IT and information security, asset-focused workers like clinical engineers and biomed, and operational-focused personas like the C-suite. So before you answer the question, I want to get your opinion on those buckets. Do those look like uh, those? Does that division make sense into those three areas? Is there another way you see the world? And then your thoughts on misalignments and gaps. Craig, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, I think those are uh, fair ways to kind of categorize the work. Uh, and if you look at uh, organizations, I do think that uh, as we've all kind of grown and continue to develop and mature, uh, you start seeing a lot of the mergers and acquisitions and different things come into place, different cultures colliding. So as the healthcare system matures, hopefully you start getting the alignment where it really starts from the top and bleeds its way down. So going back even several years ago, 
you would have? What is your digital strategy? What is your IT strategy? What is, is happening in different parts of the organization? And really we have one strategy and that's the one that comes from the healthcare system. And so I, I think it's really just kind of, kind of consuming or digesting some of the new entrants into the healthcare system and making sure that those are all aligned with what's happening from the top. Yeah, that uh, concept of digesting entrance is an interesting one. Um, and also, if you, if you take on too much at one time, it makes it difficult to digest, right? Take, that takes extra time. Um, John, your thoughts? So, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with the, the, the way that you divided up the, the different groups. Uh, and you know, Craig said it right now, looking at historical reasons for why the, the silo uh, exists, uh, that's, that's what I'm seeing as well. Um, so going back to history, obviously the IT departments and um, information security departments were charged with maintaining IT assets, maybe some of the IoT assets, but as medical devices be- began to be more and more connected, and of course we're seeing an abundance of that today, even before the uh, advent of uh, telehealth and uh, these new technologies, even the legacy devices are becoming more and more connected today. Those were um, maintained by clinical engineering or biomed. So these different groups had ownership of different assets. And to me, they started working on different culture, different processes, um, different types of tools that they use uh, and when connectivity emerged, there began to be more overlap between the groups. And that's why I think uh, breaking those silos is such a hot topic today and so, and, and so relevant for HDOs. Um, that's, that would be my take on it. Very good. Uh, Jess, what do you think? Yeah, so absolutely agree with these categories. Thank you. Um, I agree with Craig. Uh, as an organization, starting to look at strategy as one strategy. It's not an IT strategy or a biomed strategy or a security strategy. Um, and starting to focus as one organization. Um, technology touches everything that we do. So actually having those silos isn't very productive. And, you know, looking at how we start to centralize those and get out of that traditional type IT work into how do we partner with operations to see what the need is, not just the ask, um, and align with that overall single strategy is important for us. All right. Very good. Uh, let's go to our next question. Uh, John, we're going to start with you. What are the effects of the misalignment and gaps? What's the impact to patient care and or, and or an organization's bottom line? In my eyes, I mean, there, there are many ways where there are many instances where the, um, the, the lack of alignment or the silos uh, have an effect. Uh, but I'd say first and foremost, it just creates sometimes cumbersome processes uh, that just take more time. And more time is wasted resources because uh, people have a lot to do these days, uh, especially in COVID, but, but even before. Uh, so a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted energy, a frustration uh, that you may be able to, to see as well. Uh, and if I'm taking, for example, uh, security, which is something that, that, that I have a, a direct, uh, direct engagement with, you're going to get lacking security in some cases because of that, uh, because of those silos that exist. So I'll give you just one example that I think I, I asked some of our uh, some of my acquaintances this question in the past. Said, so let's say you have 
a, a security incident that involves a, a, a medical device. This happens from time to time. It could be something serious, could be something that's not serious at all. How do you handle that? And the reality is that you're going to need both information security and clinical engineering to handle that incident together because it's, it's joint ownership. Um, and sometimes getting the two to work together because they're siloed, a response that can take 10 minutes, five minutes, one hour, sometimes that can take weeks just because of that communication gap. And that's just one example. Of course, there are many other examples, uh, but I think it's a good one to show that sometimes it's not, there isn't like a real technical or technological gap. Uh, it's just a communication gap is what it is. Very interesting. Uh, Jess? Yeah, so I think um, just to take that a step further, so uh, I think the biggest gap is over-engineering, uh, at least from what I'm seeing is we over-engineer solutions instead of really thinking about what would impact the patient. Um, as I think about uh, IoT, the data privacy is a huge um, concern for, for these gaps. Um, and it damages not just the organization's bottom line, but also the reputation and the trust that they have with their patients. Um, so constantly having that in mind and how we align our traditional IT with operations to try and address both um, is very key. Yeah, just it's, it, I mean, what we're really talking about here are things falling through the cracks, right? I mm -hmm. mean, things not, issues that are not handled properly in a timely manner and the negative effects that come from that. Um, is it a question of just developing, you know, use cases? So, for example, when, when there is a, a, a problem with a, bio, with a device, uh, Jonathan was saying, you know, IT could be responsible or biomed could be responsible. Um, why is it more difficult than just developing a procedure for that use case? So now we know here's how those two entities need, need to partner when we have this type of issue. Yeah, so I definitely think it's a, it's, it's a case of things falling through the cracks. Um, they do need to come together. So it's not operating again as IT and biomed. It's operating as a full technology suite um, to say we can improve this process. We don't need to overthink it. And we also don't need to point fingers on who may have caused the issue. I find that that actually delays communication. Yeah, it's just a question of, okay, here's what happened. Here's what went wrong. Uh, what are we, how are we going to handle it in the future? Okay, now exactly. we have a process. But I guess it's right. a million of those things. That's the issue. It's not that any one of them is insurmountable. It's they're all over the place. And they, we need a process at a high level for addressing these type of problems. Um, Craig, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, like, I think I'll go back to a, uh, an offline comment that you made and maybe steal uh, your colleagues can't gamble and go do a little sports analogy. So <laughs> hey, it's really similar to kind of being part of a team. And you can look at a baseball team for an example. We kind of all have our certain positions and even within your division, let alone those that uh, you serve together with, um, you do cross a lot. You, you cover each other and you cover for each other. So I think that, again, that comes back to, for me, kind of the one team concept uh, from the top. If everybody's all in it together, then some of these lines, we do have to have policy and procedure, obviously, but the gaps become less and less and they have less of an impact. I think for in terms of the effects, 
it's probably worse for uh, those on the floor, you know, the staff that we have maybe getting frustrated uh, or having to do what Jonathan referred to as just having some extra work to do. I don't think there's an impact to patient care. I think we're all in it uh, for the right reason across the industry. And I think the organization's bottom line uh, may or may not be, but for me, it's more of people are probably working extra hours over or to the over-engineering concept, doing things uh, that maybe are unnecessary. And we should probably be simplifying our processes and not making it so that we have to kind of go back and pull this, you know, what is my step going to be? It should be very intuitive how we provide those services. So that's kind of how I would position the question. I really think it's it's the people that are doing the work that are the ones that would be frustrated when there are those kind of misalignments. But as a team, we all should cover for each other. And I hope at times, maybe there's two people going to the same spot to provide the service uh, and then one can relieve the other or, or move on to something else. I think that's great. And that's exactly what I was thinking, Craig. You were using your sports analogy. And what I started to think of was when there's a fumble in football, and that could be the issue, the problem in in the work environment, you want everybody at least jumping on the ball. And then, okay, now we'll figure out what we're going to do, as opposed to everybody walking away and saying, that's, I got nothing to do with that. That's not... <laughs> That's not me, which that's when you get the real problem, right? When you have this issue in the work environment and people say, well, that's kind of, I can make an excuse to why that isn't me. I could justify it after the fact. I know I can, so I'm not going to touch it. And the other side says the same thing. That's why I say never send an email with two people in the subject line because the other, one of them says, well, the other person will deal with it. And the other person says the same thing. Oh, you know, if you want to CC, fine, but never put two people in the subject line. Jess, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think you went on mute, Jess. Okay. Yep. Sorry about okay. that. It's okay. So 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 Craig, I, I completely agree with you. You have to pick it up. The other issue that I often just see, um, so I'll use a sports analogy. So I have a lot of nieces and nephews. Um, in the double digits now, and they're all nine and under. And uh, they, before COVID, they would go and play soccer, and we would watch them follow the soccer ball immediately. And that was the emergency of the moment. And you would go and do that for communications. And everybody did that, and nobody stayed in their position. Um, and I often see that that happens in an organization, too, is that everybody follows that soccer ball instead of saying, okay, what are the other things that we need to solve for around that? So, um, it can go both ways, but uh, Anthony, I like your analogy of don't put two people in the two line on an email. <laughs> well, and I liked your point. You made it, you made a great point just there, which is there's a balance between everybody running to the ball, uh, but that has its negative consequences because some of those people should not have been running to the ball. Like you said, they have other things to do. How do you, how do you handle this from a CIO point of view? How do you, I mean, you're up there, you're not going to deal with every little problem. Right. So what's the CIO level way to address this issue, Jess? Yeah, so um, clear communication. Um, we've actually tried to put some uh, different governance models in place that are diff that are simpler. Um, so we have all the right people at the table making decisions. Um, and then with the C-suite, um, one of the things that we are looking at doing a little bit differently this year is stating a problem and solving for that problem instead of trying to look at little pieces of the problem. 
Um, so you, you know, you may need to solve for patient throughput in a facility. Let's look at that instead of looking at little pieces of technology or little groups that can mm -hmm. come together to solve for smaller pieces of that. Um, that's actually been very effective and has helped us really partner with operations because one, they feel like they can actually drive what that changes. Um, and we see IT as enabling that. That's actually really helped us with a major silo that we've had in the past. So sort of like zoom back out from the, what's yep. the problem? Somebody's talking about, I need this piece. I need this piece of technology. Well, okay, let's back it up. Let's, let's take a bigger picture, look at the problem. And maybe there's other ways to solve it, right? Right, right. Jonathan? Oh, I think we lost Jonathan. Um, Craig, anything else you want to add there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, the way that I look at kind of my seat, you know, as the CIO and always have my career is, you know, you do have to take a step back. If people realize you're the CIO, in some cases, that's a failure because first you're a leader and you have the ability to look across all the different divisions. And in many cases, you're having applications of technology that does affect everybody. So I do agree with the idea. Let's take a step back, look at the whole picture. And as a leader and or any of my peers can do the same thing or join in and be part of that as leaders, here's how we want to try to solve this issue or this problem or fill this gap and everybody kind of come in together with it. So I really am a big fan of making sure that we're first leaders before we put the CIO hat on. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, about culture. Um, is, is Can culture... And, you know, to what degree, to, to whatever degree you can affect culture, you want a culture where people uh, are willing to take ownership from a problem and not run away from it, right? So, and I know we talked about the balance, Jess, of not everybody running to the problem. We don't want anybody running away from it. So what's the messaging you can put out in terms of the behavior you expect. So you don't have to address every little problem. It's here's how we expect you to behave in general when something comes up. Yeah, so I, um, so all of this is culture change. Uh, at least I'm, I'm finding from my seat. Um, empowering people to make decisions, I think that's really key. Um, we have an executive leadership team and a senior leadership team um, and we want to make sure at the senior leadership level that we are not always um, managing up every small problem that we have to the ELT, but we're actually coming together as a senior leadership team to work across all of our areas. Um, and that's, it's a huge change that's gonna take a long time, but if we've learned anything from COVID, we can be very nimble in making those changes. And I think in some ways that's even helped us um, try to change the culture and how we address the larger um, and how we work together as a team and how quickly we can do that, too. That's an interesting point. It made me think that, uh, you know, I'd heard, I think it was Ritz-Carlton, where every staff member is empowered to spend $500 to deal with a guest issue, and they don't have to escalate that at all. And it's just that idea of empowering people. It also saves you a lot of headaches, right? You don't want to deal with every problem. You, you shouldn't have to deal with every problem. Uh, Craig, where, how do you deal with that in terms of uh, empowering people? I mean, it's almost a self-preservation. It's the right way to manage. We don't want to micromanage. We want people to feel empowered and able to do things. It makes you, it lets you be able to do the things you should do at your level. Um, so, how, how what's your philosophy on 
empowering, delegating, that kind of thing? Well, first, um, I appreciate the tip. Next time I'm at the Ritz, uh, I will take <laughs> of that and talk to several different people. Uh, but no, I, I totally agree, you know, with the, uh, the openness and the transparency and the empowerment, uh, pushing those things down in many, you know, in some organizations, uh, certainly traditional, you kind of had to go up a ladder, go over, go back down a ladder. And I really push those things down. I think it's important to make sure that people understand that their opinions and thoughts are valued and they're in a safe place. They can go straight across the aisle, talk to anybody else within the organization, take a leadership role, take a team membership role, whatever those different pieces are and add that to it. And so I do think that the culture drives of how we want to not only resolve these issues, but also transform ourselves in the future. Because the ideas aren't going to come you know, from a single person or persons. It's got to start from those that are actually on the ground doing the work and they have the best ideas that they can share coming across. And for me, that kind of helps us to be uh, moving from a continuous improvement environment to a very a transformative environment where you're really kind of turning things maybe upside down and really creating a whole different level, not just getting better than you were last year, but marginally taking a couple of steps forward. And I really think that's exciting. And these are opportunities for us to do that. All right. Next question. Uh, Craig, let's stick with you here. Uh, how would you rate your organization in terms of presenting these gaps from taking place and closing them when they do? How have you addressed the issue and uh, what processes or technologies have you leveraged to enforce uh, that, that when I read that this morning, that made me feel a little creepy, enforce the collaboration, right? It sounds very, uh, you know, uh, prisoner camp type environment, but your thoughts on enforced collaboration and the general question. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to maybe some of my most recent comments, you know, it does start from the top of creating that culture of openness, transparency, everybody's idea uh, is valued and bringing that to the table and allowing a very safe environment to allow that to occur. So when you look at things like innovation or transformation, those are key values within a healthcare system to allow you to truly make a difference and be different than you were last year than you are this year and hopefully continue that kind of mindset next year. So when you start looking at the organization, that was actually was a very attractive part of SEL Health for me was that the openness, it, not only the physical openness when we were all in the office of everything being glass and wide open and open corridors and everything else, it really created a very smooth environment to allow that to occur. And now we've transitioned that into the virtual environment with chats and text and all the different ways that you can now virtually bump into somebody. And so those are things that are really kind of neat. And also you do notice that there are not, you know, we do all certainly have our own positions like we mentioned, but if there's a ground ball going up the middle, the pitcher is going to try it, the second baseman, the shortstop, there's somebody in the center field to kind of back that up. So when you see a whole team coming together, it really is a, a very attractive place to be. And you start seeing yourself really evolve very quickly and looking at things that are much larger than maybe what you have in the past. And that's where I kind of transitioned from uh, just getting it better than you were yesterday, the continuous improvement to truly transform. Because now you have the capacity to think much larger than what you could before if you're looking at every different penny and nickel. Yeah, it's really interesting. Jess, you know, you, you mentioned you're you're fairly new at Sutter, right, Jess? I am. Uh, I just uh, celebrated six months here last week. 
So that's uh, interesting for this conversation. Um, you know, when we talk about culture, um, you know, being the CIO, you know, you're the top, a, a large organization. So you've got a lot of people in the IT department. Um, a new CIO to a certain degree is new culture. This, or it could be, yeah. I mean, you can, you can just happen to have the same perspective and point of view and values as your predecessor, or you could be bringing in a, a new culture, which could be better or worse. In your case, I assume it's better. Um, uh, so, you know, and that has a lot to do with creating the environment um, that, that you want to see flourish there. So um, what are, how would you describe the, the culture that you embody or that you want to see, the things that you believe in and that you've seen work in the past? Yeah, so it was really important. Um, and coming into a role in a pandemic is just a completely different experience. And it's been completely virtual. And there can be a lot of fear in an organization, um, as well as in, in an IT area when someone new comes in. What are they going to do? Um, how are they going to address things? Are we going to have to completely turn around and go a different direction? And I wanted to stress that we've been moving in the right direction. We just need to move to the next level. Um, and being virtual has actually allowed me to do that faster um, than I would have if I had been in person. Not to say that in person isn't best because I really prefer to be a hands-on leader, um, but virtual has allowed me to touch more people, um, share the vision, get different perspectives, um, Craig, I really like what you said about getting the different perspectives. You don't have to be an expert in everything. You just have to have the right people at the table. Um, and I think being virtual has really allowed me to do that and then say, okay, you know what, you're going to go solve for this issue. Um, one of the things within the IT um, that we started is a grassroots movement. So um, I have small groups of eight to 10 people that meet with me. Um, I introduce myself. It's a great way to have a smaller forum just to have, have some uh, interaction. Um, and then I say, okay, you've given me this problem statement. I would like you to go solve, solve for it. Um, and they actually come back with a solution. And that's been extremely effective. Again, we're doing all that virtually. And I think we're doing it very, very quickly um, within a matter of 30 days for everything that, that we're looking at. Um, so for me to, to do that, empower people, I think that's been really key to trying to change the culture. Um, I say we're about halfway through our transformation journey. We are where every other healthcare organization is right now, um, trying to understand what comes next for us after COVID. Um, but I think just to go back to empowering people and getting those perspectives, it's so critically important to do that so you can actually affect change. Very good, Jonathan. Um, you know, we, we're, part of the question here is about technologies that enforce collaboration. I mean, you have some thoughts around that? Absolutely. Um, I think, I, of course, I agree uh, with, with Craig and with, uh, with uh, Jess about uh, getting uh, small groups together and tasking them with, uh, with specific problems, um, kind of task forces that I see more and more people using, and I think that's highly effective. Uh, in terms of uh, technology, I think that the biggest issue that I'm seeing sometimes, even when these groups are formed, is, is everyone accessible to the same data? Uh, because when people are not accessible to the same data or there's no single source of truth or maybe it's an information system that just hasn't been historically accessed by all the, the members of the group, that creates a lot of frustration. And of course, because people don't, 
you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, people need to spend more time on gathering the data and so on when really it's at your fingertips. Um, so I think tools that allow multiple stakeholders to get everything that they need uh, from that, from an access perspective, from various types of data and so on, uh, that's really what we need uh, in this virtual age that we'll see how it evolves and when we'll, we'll go back to the old ways, but, or if we go back to the old ways. Uh, but I think either way, whether we do or we don't, uh, accessing the right uh, data for everyone, that, that's key. Of course, then security concerns may arise, but I wouldn't let the security hinder um, this culture of, uh, of participation. Um, there, there's a way to achieve both, at least in my opinion. So this is really interesting. So, I mean, you know, what we were talking about, Craig and Jess, we were talking about sort of, and I was getting at was how do you get people to want to collaborate? How do you create that environment, that culture? Jonathan's touching on the tools. So they may want to, but they don't have, if they don't have the tools to collaborate, they can't. You need both. Right, you need to, to create the the culture in the environment where that's the goal, and then the tools where where it's easy to do that. Um, so that's interesting. And then we talked about empowering people, small groups, and that kind of thing. I'd written before the event um, just a note for myself around this question. Um, Craig, you tell me is one of the more frustrating things that you see is when somebody presents you with a problem that they're having, but it doesn't seem to you like they've tried to reach out to the other party involved to work it out. They come to you instead. So will you have, have you, have you made the call? Have you had the meeting? Do you see that? Does that happen? Sure. I think that happens, uh, you know, in, in many organizations across all industries. And I think that's where us as a leader, you kind of, for me, put on that, and I'm also a professional parent. And, you know, and as part of that to grow. So I don't get like frustrated when that happens. It's just like, well, let's think about it and look at it a different way. You know, what if you were in that other person's shoes and or did you try to reach across and talk to that person? I think it's more of a, a coaching and by example yourself, too. You know, so I freely can go talk to anybody within this organization or across the industry. I have no problem reaching out to Jess or Jonathan or anybody else. And just kind of getting that perspective, because it, it, I think it's it's important that you also become an example for people to follow. That you aren't threatening, you aren't kind of putting constraints around the way that you are able to gather information in order to make the best decision, but you actually do kind of encourage and take advantage of those others people either within your network, within the company, or outside of the company, so you can bring a more different uh, different perspectives to it. I like to say. You know, all the, di the different lenses that we can all have uh, certainly uh, will help me have a, the best information to make a better decision than if I didn't have all of that. And, and I think, you know, when people come to you with those things, you have to really tell them it's, it's okay. It's all right to go ahead and reach over, talk to, include, be part of. And even that can go up and down the organization. It doesn't have to be always lateral. You know, if you want to talk to my boss, please feel free. Go talk to him. I think he or she may have a good perspective on it that I may not be able to share. So I have to also be say, hey, I don't have to be involved with everything as well. I can allow you to go above, laterally or down and be able to gather all that information. And when somebody doesn't do that, I think it's our job, just as a leader, to be able to encourage them and teach them 
how to have that because then they will continue to develop and grow as well. And doesn't that just free you up so much to be able to do the work you're supposed to be doing? When you say, I don't need to be in on that meeting, go ahead, go talk to you, right? If you feel like you need to be everywhere, either to know what's going on or to protect your position, it's exhausting. You know, it's funny, Anthony, because that goes back to one of your comments about the two. I tell people, if not, if I'm not in the two, I may never read what you send me. So if you want me to read it, don't just CC me. Uh, right. Be in the two. And if not, there's a good chance I may not even have the time to do it. Right. Jess, you mentioned, uh, you touched on, uh, I think, a, a best practice, which is bring me a solution. If you don't just bring me a problem, right? Because you're closer to it than I am, you know? So what do you think? What do you want to do? Is that something you try and ingrain in people coming to you with issues? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I, I never as a leader want to say, just go figure it out on your own. So there's a certain amount of coaching and mentoring. That <laughs> That's comes a balance. You, 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 right. know, you want people to come to you with things, and it is a balance. Um, but that coaching and mentoring to say, that's a great idea. Have you talked to this person? They could absolutely help you with this. If you'd like to circle back and just let me know how it turns out, um, please, please let me know. So, it, but it does free you up. And I think to Craig's point, it's, and to your point as well, Anthony, it's exhausting to have to be everywhere all the time. And um, I, I have smart, wonderful, engaged people within IT and across the organization so we can all contribute to that. Yeah. Circle back. Maybe not. Maybe they don't yeah. have to circle. You know, maybe say we'll, well they okay. say we'll circle back and you say you don't have to. That's okay. Yeah. But I love to hear about the wins though too. And sometimes that's right. Like only circle back if it's it. only circle back if it's good news. How's that? Right. Yeah. I'm just well, kidding. Bad, bad news too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's touch on uh, another question. What could vendors do to help those teams collaborate? Jonathan mentioned a couple of tools, a couple of things like that. Um, is this an area you think that, you know, what do you think about tools in this area? Is, I mean, do you feel like you have what you need? Uh, or are there, there are things that you say, you know, I wish I had something that did this or that? Craig? Yeah, you know, first I'll say, you know, it, it may be slight, but it really does make a difference. Uh, I, I don't deal a lot with vendors. I deal with partners, people who truly are in it for the same reason why I'm in it. I do have vendors. I have plenty of them. Uh, and I don't spend a lot of time with them because they're just kind of really very task oriented. But if they're a partner, we're kind of all in it together and kind of bring them in. So I do utilize uh, partners uh, in many of our situations. Uh, sometimes people want to say, hey, let's not include that uh, that company in this discussion. I'm like, no, because they've probably seen it 100 times around the country uh, in other healthcare systems or even outside of healthcare. So I really want them to be at the table. You know, if they're a truly a partner, they'll look at it for our best interests. And certainly there can always be, you know, some, some, uh, some different uh, priorities uh, with somebody coming in. They do have different things that they have to uh, be incentivized with. However, if they really want to be a partner with me, and in many cases, you know, they can actually say, ah, oh, did you talk to this other company or this other person? And kind of bring them in as well. So it kind of really becomes, you're kind of building that team or building that network to help you to have, again, more insights into making those kinds of decisions. So for me, it's really important that we really have partners. And we have a handful of them here that I rely on, not only from what they're bringing to me, but I'll talk to the CIOs of those other companies as well. Like, what are you doing within your company 
that I may be able to imitate over here. Jess, what are your thoughts on that, you know, vendor partner situation? And we'll get to Jonathan in a minute. I'm sure every vendor in the universe wants to be a partner. Nobody wants to just be, well, maybe somebody does just want to be a vendor. They don't want to. <laughs> Again, those are the people that don't want you to circle back, right? Those are the vendors. Um, but what, what do you think about that, uh, what Craig was saying? Yeah, so I completely agree with that. And I've, uh, you know, made those calls and started to set those expectations with, with our partners. But I, I'm i very clear when I say this, I don't want somebody that I just write a check to every month and you keep the lights on. I'm really looking for someone to partner, um, offer solutions where they see appropriate. Um, the other thing that we find is we often aren't using full pieces of solutions. And mm -hmm. so, you know, having a partner go in and say, hey, do you know you're only using 20% of this? If you used this functionality, it would help your clinicians um, this much more. So I'm really looking for that kind of partnership, but I definitely don't want a passive relationship where we're just paying them and they're not giving us anything that doesn't add any value. Yeah, it's interesting. So, Jonathan, the, the vendor partner issue um, and what can happen sometimes if so you have a CIO that, that, that wants a vendor to be a partner. So they talk about their larger problem. Um, a good partner will freely say when they don't have a solution to that problem and refer you to someone who they may know of or just say, I, I you know, I, we don't have that. A bad partner will always find that something they offer fits your problem, no matter what. Um, you know, part of such a big part of being a good service provider is saying what you don't do. I will tell anybody that who ever asks me. Um, what are your thoughts around that? I could not agree more. Uh, obviously, many vendors uh, would want to become uh, partners, uh, but I think that today that the word partner, which is a, a charged word, it needs to be um, fulfilled uh, by the various uh, technologies companies uh, out there. And when I think of it, and I use this, this word a lot internally and, to, and externally, to me, being a true partner, first and foremost, it means understanding healthcare and understanding and being committed to healthcare. So healthcare is unique. It's unique problems. It's complex problems. It's a really rapidly changing environment these days, even before COVID and certainly accelerated by COVID. And being committed to under, really understanding the needs of your, of your partners, your healthcare partners, I think that takes a lot. Second, I think that what I'm seeing more and more is that sometimes, as much as I would love to, for this to be untrue, is that technology is just not enough. So technology can do a lot. And, and it's certainly key to everything that we're doing. Uh, but sometimes it takes more. It takes people to listen, to understand, to change the, the technology, to adapt to the specific use case or to the specific need, um, and to really getting the objective accomplished. And I think that takes a lot from a, it takes a different mindset from, a, from companies a, a, as well. And lastly, and I think Craig touched upon this, and it's a, I think it's a really awesome point, is that sometimes being in that vendor position or partner position or technology company position allows you to see a lot of best practices that are being utilized in, in a lot of organizations. It's a really fun position to be in, quite honestly. You get to see a lot. I, I enjoy that the most in my role. 
And, and I just realized over the last couple of years that there's so much value in doing that, in bringing people together and saying, hey, this organization is really similar to your organization. How about you guys talk or learn from this use case and learn from that use case? And you know what? In this new virtual world that we live in, just you know, making the connections is so easy. It's a, an email or maybe a link to a, to a Zoom and, or a, even a recorded session and information can, can be transferred so quickly. Uh, so being that matchmaker, uh, so to speak, uh, first, as I said, it's the funnest part of my job. Uh, and second, I think that it's a true requirement in terms of being a partner. It's added value that's beyond the technology is what I'm trying to touch upon. You know, Anthony, one of the things that came out of COVID on uh, the same question that I think is, uh, I think we all have, certainly Jess and I do, is, you know, when, when all this started to roll out a year ago, you had companies, I had companies that contacted me, to, how can I provide you relief? You know, whether it's financially, can I give you uh, free software? Can I give you some hardware, delay payment? With all the different things, and then you had another group, and those are true partners. They were they were putting themselves in your seat, coming right in. How can I help? Then you had others where you asked, and they said, "Yeah, here's what we can do. Here's how we can do it." Then you had others that didn't approach you, and when asked, kind of gave you the no. And that's where, to me, kind of separate. Those are really like vendors. They really don't understand. This is a long-term relationship. It's not a transactional run, but you're viewing me as transactional, and those. Me, I would bucket in the vendor space. So a lot of people really came out company-wise to be true partners with us in this fight. Excellent point. Very good point. All right. We're going to go to our one of my favorite parts, our Ask a Co-Panelist section. Um, Jonathan, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? I do. Uh, I'll start with Jess. Uh, just going back to one of the comments, Jess, that you made before about uh, how this new virtual world has accelerated the culture change in your organization and how that's benefited you. Uh, I know this is like uh, a tough question, but how do you foresee Sutter um, maybe a year or two from now in terms of digital work from home or you know, come back to the office, hybrid, and how is that going to affect culture? I wonder if you have any, any thoughts about that. Yeah, so um, great question. It is a hard question because we don't know what the future looks like right now. Um, but we foresee work from home as, as here to stay. Um, it has been a satisfier for people, so we do see that. Um, but we still have people saying, when can we get into the office? Um, so I think it will be a mix of things. I think it's going to be a good 12 to 18 months um, before we even get back to that point that we can do that. Um, but virtual I have to say, we, we've actually completed our, our some of our first system updates and maintenance virtually, 100%, and it has been so much faster. Um, so I actually foresee those things continuing for us, um, and, and we'll just continue to get better at those. Um, using collaboration platforms for us is going to be key to doing that. We, you know, we talked about a little bit about what some of those are, and we foresee continuing to use those and expand those. And then, is that uh, just for Jess, or you get something for Craig too? Yeah. So I wanted to ask uh, Craig uh, the same question, and maybe to, to add one more uh, one more aspect to it. Uh, you mentioned previously, Craig, that you had some ideas about your preferred um, governance model in terms of uh, closing those gaps. Uh, 
I, I was wondering uh, what you're doing, what what the best practice is in in terms of uh, of that. I've been seeing some organizations that are getting CE to roll up uh, to the CIO, and so I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, if you, if you don't mind. Uh, very interesting. I, I won't uh, repeat what Jess said. I think she uh, she nailed it, and so I've got nothing to add to that. So to your follow up, you know, one of the things that I try to make sure. So in a previous life, um, I had uh, clinical engineering report to me uh, in my new organization here, they report somewhere else. And what I tell people is it doesn't matter. You know, for me, selfishly, it's one less performance review. So I don't have to do that. <laughs> but from a customer's perspective, they shouldn't really, they should not have any impact as to where it reports or operates or where it best fits for uh, this company. So from that standpoint, I, I really don't. And that goes back to a previous point you know, don't put the CIO, you know, kind of blinders on me. I can do much more than that. So I can be engaged and work with a lot of maybe sister areas that we touch each other very frequently, but it's not command and control. We're all one team. So from that standpoint, nobody should really feel the impact of that. And then when you look at some of the governance pieces, one of the things that we did is we put together and I got here is 10 programs. And all those programs are multidisciplinary uh, five of our major partners are five of those 10. Uh, we meet on a regular basis. We have uh, people coming across from the C-suite and other members that we want to grow and develop, participate in the maturing of those relationships and what we can do with them. So I find that uh, really something that uh, for me uh, is very organized, is very simple. People outside of uh, this area especially can understand it. Our board can understand it. Our senior team can understand it and they actively participate in it. And all of the work that we do all lines up to our four strategic periods about our one strategic plan. So everything kind of rolls back up very, very uh, uh, cleanly from that standpoint. On the reverse side, I'd like to ask you, because you made a comment that sometimes I believe that, you know, we, when we look at uh, companies and we look across our peers, not only in healthcare, but outside of healthcare, there's a lot of things that we actually have in common uh, across all the other industries, you know, retail, um, energy, et cetera. So I learn a lot from them and hopefully they're learning a lot from us. But for you with a company, you know, like Medigate, you kind of are putting a little bit around yourself that it has to be something in the medical field. So I'm curious, do you have visions or thoughts to say, you know, whatever applies in medicine, there are some unique pieces but a lot of our work actually can go across to other industries as well. Well, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I totally understand and recognize that other industries uh, we can learn from, certainly in terms of governance models and how to manage people and how to manage processes. And we do a lot of that. Um, and I think my, my, one of the inspirations for me to found the company was actually from a, the industrial space where there's a, I found a lot of, a, a lot of similarities uh, to healthcare. But the focus on healthcare to me, it's always been about a being centering around the clinical workflow, which is unique to, to healthcare. Really understanding a, what the, the, the physical processes that the doctor does or that the physician does and how that applies to the network from a security standpoint and from, from, other, uh, from, other, from other standpoints that uh, outside of security, but really honing in on that 
to me, it was just about uh, it could give you more value uh, to the, ultimately to the customer and really understanding his day-to-day uh, so that when I come to you and say, and you, you explain a problem that you have, I'm like, already, yeah, I, I've seen this 10 times and I, I've, I know what you're talking about and I can, I can really align with you in that regard. So that, that was kind of the premise of that it, and uh, trying to take the best of both worlds, so to speak. Very good. Well, we're running a little short on time. So, Jonathan, I want to give you an opportunity for a final thought before I let everybody go. Uh, I think that it is just a, this, is, this has been a really interesting panel for me to participate in. Um, and I think that one of the, the things that I've learned most in, from just listening to, to, to Craig and, and, and Jess is that there are some advantages in, the, in this virtual day and age, which allows yeah. leaders to actually be more involved in the day-to-day. Um, and thinking about this myself, I'm kind of thinking, you know what, that applies to me as well. So that's, uh, I'll try to stop complaining about uh, this, uh, this new work style and take the best out of it. So uh, I think that that has been really insightful. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jonathan. I did hear Jess say that. And um, Craig, is that something you feel as well, yeah, that there absolutely. is some upside here? Yeah. Yeah, there's absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, lessons that we continue to learn. I think we're all students for life. And uh, in this past year, we, we've learned a lot really fast. And uh, as we move into more of the virtual space and how that works, we've seen it. You know, we do it with our banking. We do it with our shopping. Um, we need to do it more within healthcare. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice place to be. Jess, any final thought? Yeah, I, I think the only final thought I have for this is, you know, virtual has sped things up so much more. The tools that, that we've used and used fully have sped things up. So I continuously hear this um, is that don't take your foot off the pedal. We have to figure out how to continue moving at the speed with which we are and which we have responded to COVID. Well, that was a fun, exciting, interesting conversation. That was really good. Um, Regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the recording of this event is posted um, to sponsor an event with us. You could reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. You can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank a wonderful panel, Jess Cornelius, Craig Richard, Bill, and Jonathan Langer. I want to thank Medigate for making this uh, valuable conversation possible, and I want to thank our attendees for continuing to join our events. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.